0: Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, advocacy activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from 3CR Studios in Melbourne on 8.55am. Thanks to Sally for another show of Out of the Pan. And Sally will be back for one final show next week. So make sure you catch that next Sunday, 12 to 1. We're slacking off and taking the whole time off. So this is our final show of the year. Uh, and joining me for the final show of the year Is a full panel We've had a full studio two weeks in a row Which is great Going out with a bang Or at least a full studio So <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see about the bang We'll see how we go um, But yeah, my co-host today is Adam Carnelini That's me uh-huh. in, Adam And we are joined by two people from Animal Rebellion or Who are going to get involved in Animal Rebellion at least So we've got Dylan who has been in the UK With Animal Rebellion Thanks for joining us, Dylan Thank you for having me And Harley who is about to go to the UK With Animal Rebellion Hey, Harley Thank you. And I'm Nick Pendergrass, hosting today, again, our final show of the year. And I thought we'd start off by uh, talking, maybe we'll start off with Delan in terms of, um, yeah, I guess what Animal Rebellion is and also why you're inspired to go to the other side of the world and get involved with them.
1: Yeah, so Animal Rebellion is a mass movement organization working currently out of the UK. Um, And essentially where it came from was people realizing that there was a whole lot of momentum going on, uh, which was sparked by Extinction Rebellion in regards to uh, the conversations around climate, uh, around the climate crisis, and Extinction Rebellion had managed to really kind of shift public consciousness in terms of the way people are thinking about the climate crisis. And then, um, you know, people in the UK were suddenly just realizing that you know we are in a climate emergency; we need to do something about it, and so. Uh, people in the animal justice movement saw this and they recognised there's an opportunity there. Um, There's a lot of common ground between the animal justice movement and the climate movement. Um, But then also animals were kind of largely being left out of the conversation in terms of, um, you know, in terms of animals being victims of the climate crisis and also the role that animal farming um, is playing in driving the climate crisis. And so essentially Animal Rebellion uh, came is created by animal justice advocates to work in solidarity with Extinction Rebellion uh, and to bring this idea of a plant-based food system and the need for a plant-based food system into the public narrative so that we can really kind of drive that message home um, and achieve outcomes that not only serve the climate but also kind of create, um, you know, pave the way for a better world for animals. And so... I guess, uh, so I've, I've been involved with Animal Rebellion over in the UK, um, for the last three months and it just, it just made sense as a strategic opportunity. Like, there's just so much momentum and it, it completely makes sense. And the reason is, I guess, one of the big things is that if, if we, you know, if we just sit out of that conversation, then animals are going to be left behind. So it seemed like a really important thing to do and something that where we can make a whole lot of prog- progress on.
0: Mm. And what about you, Harley? You're about to head over there. So yeah, any, any anything else you want to say about the organization, what they're about, but also, yeah, what's inspiring you to head over there?
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll give a little bit more backstory about kind of what inspired Dylan and I both to become involved. So um, earlier in the year both Delan and I were in the USA um, and we were participating in an eight day kind of stra- strategy conversation which had people from the UK had people from had people from the US and had Delan and I from Australia um, and during the course of that we had we met up with people who'd been talking for talking with for, for a little bit who were from an organization called Animal Think Tank, which is also based in the UK. And they were basically do, doing just big movement research, the kind of which we had not seen in the animal justice space before. So both of us had kind of come to the point where we just were looking for a way to do more and like work more and find, like kind of like just that big capacity um, to think and to plan and to sh- go deep into strategy. And at the moment, like we've talked about it on the show before, I think that Australia has a massive capacity problem. There's just no room for a lot of allies and advocates to do the work that needs to be done to build a mass movement. Whereas in the UK, they had this organization that had dedicated themselves to building a mass movement for animals. Mm -hmm. So we saw the work that Animal Think Tank were doing. And basically, over the course of a couple of days, while we were in the US, we decided we we need to join that. We need to be part of that. So the original plan was to join Animal Think Tank. And at that time as well, Animal Think Tank were being part of the formation of Animal Rebellion. So that happened in June this year, that's when we were in the US. So it's just kind of like really, you know, different coincidences and turns of events where um, one of the members of Animal Think Tank, a couple of them had been part of this formation of Animal Rebellion, which was kind of just starting to bubble up. So all of this stuff was kind of happening at once. And I completely agree with Delan. Like the reason I've just... So I was going to go over and I didn't end up going over. And the reason I've decided to go over at this point It's just that potential for mass action that i see which there are so many people over in the uk who have committed to essentially dropping everything and becoming part of this because they see the promise and i think it's something that one day i hope we get to in australia where people have the support and have that that opportunity to really like drop what they're doing quit their job um And take up full-time work in animal justice. And at the moment, there's not really a space to do that in Mm -hmm. Australia. There's only really a couple of, like, one or two NGOs which you can work for full-time. So when we saw this opportunity to work full-time for an organization that's just going hard, doing strategy work, doing narrative work, doing... Uh, culture work and just really kind of pushing the boundaries and pushing the limits of what we can do then it seemed like just too good an opportunity to pass out
3: from from your experience what have you um noticed that these organizations over in the uk do differently to help support people be able to go and work full-time what are, what are they doing that is supporting people to do that and how can we how can we do that in australia or other places around the world what's their Uh, formula sorry
1: uh, yeah i think there's there's a a few different things and the first thing that comes to mind would be just the idea of investing in in investing in upskilling of of kind of the the people who are creating the conditions for other people to get involved
3: so what do yeah so can you pick that apart a bit absolutely so
1: uh like just kind of um, going into the strategy workshop that Harley that Harley had mentioned. Um, so in that strategy workshop, you had about a dozen people who were dedicating significant amount of times to actually just sort of reading a lot of books and networking with a lot of people who were really kind of trying to push the envelope in terms of the way that we build movements, the way that we build communities, and the way that we build organizations. And sort of people who are investing lots of time in building out the the nitty-gritty processes that that kind of have to be, you know, that have to be put in place for people to actually come on board and, and and, you know, get involved in a massive capacity. So you're talking about things like how do we, you know, how do we navigate funding policies? Like where does the funding come from and then how do we distribute that to the people that need it? Um, How do we set up organizational procedures so that we can recruit people, um, recruit people en masse uh, and and encourage them to kind of and operate in like a self-organizing manner. Mm -hmm. So there's all these little things that that kind of come from that can come from investing that time in terms of just having these meetings um, where you're really kind of thinking long term um, and kind of engaging with the literature around how to do all this stuff. Harley, I don't know if you have much to add. Yeah,
2: yeah, I do. Um, so I think one thing as well is it's like just the really boring like capacity stuff. So other countries, they have more animal NGOs who are willing to invest more money mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. And they also – so in Australia – most organizations that are grassroots rely on individual donors. They rely on membership or they rely on people giving small monthly donations or something like that. So whereas like in the US, for example, so Save and DXE in the US, they fund activists to work full time. So Mm -hmm. they give them fellowships and people will live off that, wage like it's an actual wage whereas there is no grassroots organization in australia that i know of that does that um for more than like a one person or so i think there's a couple of grassroots organizations where one person will have a wage um or maybe two but not for like a significant number of people and so and they the reason is one because of just more involvement i think like more donations another is because of like bigger donors like they have like America has people with a lot of money willing to invest in this Mm -hmm. and that just rapidly increases the capacity because people aren't spending all their time crowdfunding. They can, you know, like Animal Rebellion, when they started, they got 100K as like kind of seeding funding and that enabled them to be able to take people on full time and pay them like not a full wage, but like um, cover expenses to the best of their capacity. And Mm -hmm. sorry, one more thing. Um, So as well as that, There's also, yeah, what Delan was saying about investing. It's something that actually Delan has said to me before. It's starting to see animal justice work not as a hobby but as a skill and as a career even. So it's like in Australia we still feel for the most part we have this mindset where, you know, animal justice work is something you go do on the weekend. It's something that you Mm. do in your spare time Mm. and it's not a skill that you invest in. People kind of do... A lot of similar stuff they specialize in tactics but no one's really encouraged or not no one but a lot like people aren't really encouraged to build on like build a profession like build a this is my level Mm -hmm. my area of expertise whereas in places like animal rebellion you are encouraged to take something on so for example i'm going over there to work on story and that's become like i read so many books now on story and narrative and um strategy in that respect like story-based strategy because now the way i'm thinking about it now is like that's my career whereas and i think that's something that's lacking a bit just that mindset of this is a a life choice it's something it's not just something like playing a sport it's a thing you're doing with your life
0: Maybe we'll take a track And then we'll be back with more after after this So we're going to have a track uh, chosen by Delan Which is Dear Theodosia" by Leslie Odom Jr. And Lynn manuel Miranda from the Hamilton soundtrack
1: uh, Why have you chosen this track, Dylan? Okay, so yes, uh, this song comes from the musical Hamilton Which I was lucky enough to see when I was in London And it really hits me hard every time I see it uh, Every time I hear it um, so, a bit of context uh, what's happening in the play at this point is um, the USA has achieved its independence from Britain, and you have these two guys, um, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. They're revolutionaries, and they're both on the same side, but they're rivals, and they're about to embark on this task of basically creating a new nation um which is monumental and they've never really seen eye to eye, but in this song they happen to come together and sing in harmony for the first time, and the reason is that they've both had newborn children. Now there's a bit more to the to like how the song was written, so while it's ostensibly, you know, in the lyrics it's about two fathers singing about their children. Um uh Lynn Manuel Miranda, who wrote the song, didn't actually have a son when he wrote it. Uh, actually, he wrote this song the same week that he uh, adopted uh, a puppy uh, who's now named Tobillo uh, from the Dominican Republic, and so I've come now to see this song as really an ode to sort of the really beautiful relationships that we can um, that we can craft with animals, and how the compassion and kind of forward thinking that those relationships can inspire can really help us find common ground with you know those who we might consider rivals or not see eye to eye with
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: really nice and also um i remember a while back uh, with Del- Delane and
0: harley we were talking we had uh, sweeney todd as well so i've mm-hmm. got a bit of a musical theme going on as well so that's great to continue that here so uh, here here is the track you are listening to freedom of species on 3cr and we're discussing animal rebellion today
4: you oh, what to say to you You have my eyes You have your mother's name When you came into the world You cried And it broke my heart I'm dedicating every day to you Domestic life Was never quite my style When you smile. You knocked me out, I fall apart And I thought I was so smart You will come of age with our young nation We'll bleed and fight for you We'll make it right for you If we lay a strong enough foundation We'll pass it on to you We'll give the world to you And you'll blow us all away Someday, someday I the Someday, someday Oh,
5: Philip, when you smile I am undone My son, look at my son Pride is not the word I'm looking for There is so much more inside me now You outshine the morning sun, my son. When you smile, I fall apart and I thought I was so smart. My father wasn't around, my father wasn't around. I swear that I'll, I'll be, be around, around for you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make the world safe and sound for you Come of age with our young nation We'll bleed and fight for you We'll make it right for you If we lay a strong enough foundation We'll pass it on to you We'll give the world to you And you'll blow us all away, Song
0: Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR. We're joined by Delan and Harley talking about animal rebellion in the UK. And I think this is a really fitting show to finish the year with because something we've discussed a lot in the show for the last year, and I think probably even a year or two, has been the connection between animals and environment, which is obviously a big uh, feature of that organisation. One thing I wanted to touch on in terms of looking at the potential of the organisation one sort of discussion I've seen from within animal spaces is this question of why animals aren't more considered in environmental movements. So I was keen to get both of your thoughts on that. I mean, a few of the different arguments, and there might be other ones that you're aware of as well, but I think you know a clear one is just speciesism within society in general um, and including environmental movements, which are part, are part of this society, devaluate, devaluing animals, only you know, viewing the environment as something important for humans, that kind of thing. Uh, another argument I've seen around is the place of animal agriculture workers. So in the environmental movement, it's kind of um, accepted even by some within fossil fuel industries, that these jobs have to go I and mean, we need a just transition for these workers. And yeah, these workers aren't the enemy, etc. But these jobs need to go for the environment. But is there something that's sort of seen as particularly sacred or something about um, animal agriculture work that we generally don't see those same arguments uh, in the environmental movement? So, I mean, there are a couple of ideas. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on those or if you think there's yeah any other reasons you have in terms of why um, animals are not given a more central place in the environmental movement. Maybe start with Harley.
2: Yeah. Um. Like, honestly, I think central to it is speciesism. Like, mm. I think... There are other things I used often as justifications, but I think when you dig down to it, usually it's just inherently that the humans, most humans in the environmental space, like most humans in the world, think that humans are inherently superior. So one thing that I've thought about quite a lot is how the environmental movement at its heart is in a way like a group of humans trying to create human solutions for human problems mm. and it's kind of ridiculous in that respect so i think about that like with a lot of like the conservation the conservation efforts in and i've talked to you like to adam about this so i'd love to hear you kind of mm. elaborate on this but it's like that kind of thing where it's like we create humans created the problem but we're the only ones with the answers so like you see that with culling and all that where it's like mm. oh there's too many of that species so we're going to kill some of them to save the environment And it's just so this this twisted kind of thinking where we keep in like we keep kind of invading and meddling more and more with nature in the aims of environmentalism and conservation. I think at the bottom of it is human supremacy. It's just this idea that we know the answers to our own problems, which is yeah silly. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like something my mum said the other day, which has really stuck with me, is that humans aren't the like evolutionary winners of intelligence it's just that all most other species have come up with the perfect solutions to their problems like you know if you think about a spider it's a great example like they make a spider web and that is the perfect solution to their life like it just fits every Thing they need in their life it's a home it's a food source it's everything so they came up with that perfect solution really early on so they didn't have to start solving more and more complex problems until like now when they're starting to be destroyed by humans so it's like whereas humans we create more and more complex problems. So we have to come up with more and more complex solutions. So we've come up with this grand idea that we, our defining feature is that we can solve complex problems. And in reality, it's actually that we've just created more complex problems. So if like, you know, a kangaroo was as ridiculous as us and just ruined their own environment, then they would probably have the same intellectual capacities as humans, but they would be forced to solve their own, you like, incompetence so i think it's like i think that was my little babble spiral to go back to the point yeah i I really think it is human supremacy and speciesism and a lack of acknowledgement of animals as with a capital a as individuals it's seeing them as a collective mass who are part of an abstract idea of the environment rather than seeing them as individuals with value it's seeing them as Need needing to be preserved if they fit special character characteristics, like if they're endangered, or if they're unique, or if they're not massified by humans. So it's like when we talk about the environment, a lot of the time. So I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to pass it off. So many like, things as you like. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I can talk on this for a long time. So recently, I was listening to a podcast. It was about. It was from the BBC, and it was about like um what would a vegan world look like and it was like they were interviewing all different scientists and basically like being like could the uk exist with a vegan world blah 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 and one thing the far- farmers and agricultural scientists who were against a vegan world who were pro animal agriculture kept coming back to was that our like our ecosystem is like built off grazing animals if we got rid of grazing animals we'd lose all this ecosystem and i was sitting there going no one is saying we're going to get rid of grazing animals. Like, they would still exist. Mm. <laughs> they would just wouldn't be farmed for human consumption. So it's like this this thing where animals are seen as instrumental to an environment that humans have created, and it's like if we change the environment, then they change along with it rather than seeing them as being individuals with autonomy and choices and stuff. So I think mm. it's just that kind of way of thinking about it, that kind of powered way where it's like, we have, we are the only ones with the power to change this world and we are the only ones who know what's right for this planet. Mm. And, yeah, I think it's just a very screwed up way of thinking.
1: Dylan? Yeah, I mean, all of that, absolutely, um, human supremacy, anthropocentrism. Insights I've also gotten from the climate movement as well is that, a lot of the... So, preface this that it's... That, like, I don't know too many details and maybe it's not all accurate, but from what I understand, the large largely the climate movement is funded by um, a few key players and those players have kind of mandated that um, the climate movement should focus mainly on fossil fuels and steer clear of animal farming and fishing because they are politically intractable. Um conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> which is you know i i understand that that perspective um because in a lot of ways like yes i can see that in australia in the uk this idea this idyllic vision of animal farmers is very embedded in our culture um and you know we we do see a lot of backlash around around you know when we bring up conversations about plant-based food system and and you you know just just caring about animals in general as well and you know but i think i think we really do need to sort of start interrogating that a bit more and and even though it is Politically intractable. We've got to start finding ways to make it politically yeah. tractable, yeah. Yeah. and I think there is, you know, there is data to show that that we can do that. That people aren't completely closed off to this stuff. Like we have seen, obviously, if, you know, looking at at the way conversations around plant-based eating and plant-based food systems have evolved over time, but then also looking at some data around people's attitudes towards animals, like stuff that originated from the UK. Um, you know, the Sentience Institute found that a surprising amount of people, something like. 30 to 40% would s- support a ban on animal farming. And then that study, you know, people looked at that study and they were like, oh, that's ridiculous. And so an agricultural university in Oklahoma replicated the study and they found essentially the exact same thing. So there is, you know, I don't think we, want, we should take those numbers at face value, but there is something to suggest there mm. that people are willing to explore animal issues in a more nuanced way. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of stuff that, you know, there's stuff that we can grab onto there. Um, and we found this, you know, a little bit in Extinction Rebellion. For example, there was a pro sorry, Animal Rebellion and Extinction Rebellion, there was a protest um, around uh, what was happening in the Amazon, um, that the animal farming industry causing those blaze- blazes in the Amazon. And Marco Springman, who's a scientist who quite... Um, strongly advocates for a plant-based food system, spoke at this uh, protest which was was predominantly Extinction Rebellion people and he got tremendous applause. Um, It was almost as though people had been waiting for that message to come out there um, and almost like there was frustration that it hadn't been put out there more. So, you know, I think there's, there's, there's work that we can do to make this work yeah
3: mm. uh, one thing that um yeah you you mentioned delan then was that um we sort of we need some time to build up this story as well like to to make it tractable to p- politically tractable and something that i feel like we maybe sometimes um forget from the animal perspective is that or from from our positions thinking about animals is that we are really asking people to change fundamentally how they see the world. It, it is a radical shift in thinking. And most people... Don't want to change <laughs> you know changing is really difficult and so when we when we use these slogans and things that um are meant to send people vegan <laughs> after reading one five-word message i think it, it, it's almost like an unrealistic ask obviously mm-hmm. um and that we maybe as a community we need to think more about how do we how do we actually reckon with the idea with, with the with the um, reality that we're asking for fundamental identity changing yes. shifts and people Environmental movement, it's its fairly easy. Like people are fairly easy to, to slot into that identity. Oh, I don't want to see the, the um, Amazon harmed because nothing I'm doing right now is really harming it. Mm. But as soon as you start to ask them to change their understanding of animals, then a whole lot of their life and a whole lot of what they know to be true changes. And that is hard to reckon with as an individual. Mm. And mm. so do, do you have any... Like, how do we do you, do you, have you thought about that? And do you think that we need how, how we can have more longer term strategies to, to really think about how to reckon with that idea that it's, it's a big shift? We're asking people
1: for a big, big change. Well, Harley's been having some conversations around strategy, so maybe.
2: Yeah, you want to chip, um, uh, chime in. So, one thing that I've been thinking a lot lately is that we need to move away from this idea that we're talking to people about making a change. And we need to focus on getting a strong narrative out into the world and just spreading it as much as possible. So it just becomes part of the zeitgeist, becomes part of the conversation. And even if people aren't agreeing with it, it's just exists. Mm. I think that's like goal number one is just to make it something that exists, make this idea of animal justice, make this idea of a plant-based food system, something that exists, something that's maybe, you know, joked about on a comedy sitcom, something that's Mm. starting to, you know, there's um, starting to appear in movies, appear, appear in books and that. So I think like narrative work, which is what I'm doing. So I'm a bit biased is central to this idea because, for a long time we've been focused on that one to one approach and the environmental movement was focused on it as well where it's like turn off your lights, turn off your taps, um you can change mm. the world mm. and I just I think people respond to strong stories. So it's like something Delana and I were talking about earlier today was this idea of moving away from trying to build like a vegan movement and building trying to build an anti-speciesist movement which doesn't isn't predicated on individual change so it's like you might have people in who are consider themselves who act anti-speciesist but aren't fully plant-based in what they're doing for whatever reason. But it's like anti-speciesism is the narrative that needs to be getting out there. And I think there's so many ways of doing that. And one thing that I've been playing around with lately is this idea that this is a complex issue. It's a radical idea. Mm. So we need to tell it in simple ways. So I've been playing around with ideas of like, you know, just, to, you know archetypes, fables, stories that we all know to be true, and teasing out the messages in them that we can use to touch people h- touch people's hearts and bring out these values because like animal justice is based on core values that most humans have, mm. so I think if we can tie our stories to those values. But also, but tie them not to an action like go vegan, mm. but to uh, an idea, a yep. story. And I think that's a really powerful way to move forward. So I've been playing around with, you know, like journey narratives and, you know, hero, villain, kind of David mm. and Goliath, like all those stories that everyone kind of internally just knows. And how do we start framing our story in that way? So it's in the media, it's just talked about as a normal thing and i think that's something that has a lot of possibility behind it it's not Mm -hmm. insurmountable Mm -hmm. whereas this idea of at the moment the idea of absolute animal liberation is almost uh, pretty much insurmountable i think as a movement we faced a lot of like demoralization because it just seems impossible in the society we live at so i think if we just Keep that as our grand end goal and strip it back to be like, what's our first strategic milestone? And I really think that is shifting the Overton window, changing the conversation. So like, you know, in five years, two years, one year, that it is normal to talk about a plant-based food system as being mm-hmm. a possibility, not Absolutely. the answer, but a possibility, a yeah. genuine possibility for the future. It is normal to talk about animals living as independent autonomous beings mm. it's not not everyone agrees with it not everyone's like yes we need to do that but it is normal mm. And i think that's yeah that's the way forward in my head
0: and, and i was thinking that the you know we de- i definitely agree with all those points about speciesism and that needs to be challenged etc but i think also we're touching on is like some of this might be our fault as animal advocates in mm. that i think we have put all the blame on the individuals mm. and think about environmental movements for example like often the demands no new fossil fuels 100% renewable energy by this date etc is not saying if you drive a car you can't come to this rally right it's like, yeah. it's not of course in the environmental movement it's better not to drive a car than to drive yeah. one but it's like it's bringing a wide range of people who have a wide range of carbon footprints to all agree on these structural demands and I feel like we haven't done enough of that as animal advocates but I definitely think we could and I've spoken about that before the way in which we could have no new animal agriculture like 100% plant-based system by 2030 these kind of similar demands are structural and again people are consuming different levels of animal products but we can agree on those or hopefully more people could agree on that so I was curious um, yeah Dylan um, I think animal rebellion there's a lot of parallels with what animal rebellion doing there do you want to talk a bit about this not that it's discouraged individual veganism but it's beyond just individual veganism this idea of a plant-based food system rather
1: than just individual change mm. absolutely so animal rebellion sort of sees you know animal rebellion it's a organization that is anti-speciesist at its core um so you know it's created by animal justice advocates um but ultimately it sees its role as being to really um to really kind of make sure that animals are are kind of represented in conversations around the climate. So, it sees our, over, you know, it sees social change as happening in kind of an ecosystem where you've got lots of different players doing lots of different things, having kind of infinite interactions with each other and, um, And so, within all of that, you know, you have all your animal justice NGOs, you have Extinction Rebellion, you have your environmental NGOs doing that work, you have all your grassroots activists doing their various work, Um, you have things like VegFest going on, like, equivalent would be World Vegan Day here. Um, So, Animal Rebellion within that sees itself as complementary to kind of all of that stuff going on and it occupies a niche which is the plant-based food system which is kind of this really tangible part of the the larger problem which we can then just sort of chip away at and when you look at when you take that tangible you know this this idea of a plant-based food system all of a sudden things start to look a lot more concrete it's like you can look at things from the lens of various you know segments of society you Mm. can look at people like animal farmers you can look at people like crop farmers you can look at you know what is your um you know what are what are different segments of popul of the population actually going to think about this uh about this kind of idea this kind of structural change and then you can formulate stories within that to appeal Mm. to those people, which I think harkens to, you know, what Harley was talking yeah. about.
2: I think, like, also that kind of um, reflects on a major criticism people have had of Animal Rebellion, um, especially within the animal justice movement, where it's, like, people have seen what they're doing and have been, like, well, they you know, they're, not representing animals, they're talking about, you know, plant-based, they're talking... That's like, you know, betraying animal justice, et cetera, et cetera. And I think what's important to realise and remember is that, yeah, so Animal animal Rebellion was created by animal justice advocates. Its basis, its core is anti-speciesist. It sees the end goal of the movement as animal liberation. But Animal Rebellion's end goal mm. is not animal liberation Mm -hmm. at this point they are are a discrete segment within the movement that is working towards a plant-based food system and they're seeing that as their specific grand strategy so it's like Mm -hmm. i think we have this tendency to look really critically at all these different groups and be like well if they're not working towards animal liberation right now then they're not being true to these values but i think Mm -hmm. what's important to remember is that animal liberation is the movement's end goal and we are not even close yet we are not even at a point where anyone is near to it you know Mm -hmm. so we need to be laying this groundwork so people can keep building on the work of the generations past like you know standing on the shoulders of those who have come before us Mm -hmm. and i think yeah animal rebellion has done something really powerful and it's Cause them yeah it's got, given them you know caused a lot of criticism from that at some point i think it's a really brave thing to do where they have chosen really deliberately not accidentally to pick out a strategic milestone
4: mm-hmm.
2: and build a mass movement around that and that's the plant-based food system mm-hmm. and i think it's something that more groups need to be thinking on that level of how let's find these strategic milestones that are going to get us closer to yeah. that end goal and mm-hmm. just dive straight on into them instead of di- dispersing our energy trying to li- trying to build something towards this amorphous thing of animal liberation which we haven't even got the structure so we can know what it looked like it's like if you're building a house it's like you can't kind of be like this is what the house is going to look like and then kind of build it without building the foundations and all that mm-hmm. you can't just be like okay we don't need plans we don't need you know experts construction people this is a messy metaphor because i know nothing about building houses um but you know what i mean it's like yeah you have to lay the groundwork you have to build the foundations and you have to have those discrete stages and animal rebellion has identified a discrete strategic phase and that's what they're working on so i think a way of seeing it instead of seeing it is like yeah betrayal is to see it as one part of a massive, hopefully a massive movement. And to be like, great, they're doing that, what can we do? Yeah,
0: and and yeah, I think it's it's obviously like a plant-based food system isn't animal liberation, but I think it is an important part of animal liberation. And I have heard a lot of animal liberation activists say that if we got animals off our plates, we could maybe think more critically about yeah. animal testing, animals exactly. in entertainment, Absolutely, et cetera. Yeah. So I think it is really important.
3: Absolutely. We're going
0: we're gonna to go to a track now. This is the 1975 by the 1975. So this features uh, Greta Thunberg. And, yeah, the reason I'm playing this, has got um, speeches from her, but the reason I'm playing is that she's definitely someone who gets the animals and environmental issue, uh, both in terms of the impact animal agriculture has on the environment, but also animals as important in their own right. I've seen... Yeah, stuff from her on Twitter, etc., about yeah, caring for animals and visiting animal sanctuaries, all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was an appropriate track to play. So yeah, we're joined by Harley and Dylan today. We're discussing animal rebellion, and you're listening to Freedom as Species, and you're on 3CR 855am. Yeah.
6: We are right now in the beginning of a climate and ecological crisis and we need to call it what it is, an emergency. We must acknowledge that we do not have the situation under control and that we don't have all the solutions yet, unless those solutions mean that we simply stop doing certain things. We must admit that we are losing this battle. We have to acknowledge that the older generations have failed. All political movements in their present form have failed. But homo sapiens have not yet failed. Yes, we are failing, but there is still time to turn everything around. We can still fix this. We still have everything in our own hands. But unless we recognize the overall failures of our current systems, we most probably don't stand a chance. We are facing a disaster of unspoken sufferings for enormous amounts of people. And now is not the time for speaking politely or focusing on what we can or cannot say. Now is the time to speak clearly. Solving the climate crisis is the greatest and most complex challenge that Homo sapiens have ever faced. The main solution, however, is so simple that even a small child can understand it. We have to stop our emissions of greenhouse gases. And either we do that, or we don't. You say that nothing in life is black or white, but that is a lie, a very dangerous lie. Either we prevent a 1.5 degree of warming, or we don't. Either we avoid setting off that irreversible chain reaction beyond human control, or we don't either we choose to go on as our civilization or we don't that is as black or white as it gets because there are no gray areas when it comes to survival now we all have a choice we can create transformational action that will safeguard the living conditions for future generations. Or we can continue with our business as usual and fail. That is up to you and me. And yes, we need a system change rather than individual change. But you cannot have one without the other. If you look through history, all the big changes in society have been started by people at the grassroots level, people like you and me. So I ask you to please wake up and make the changes required possible. To do your best is no longer good enough. We must all do the seemingly impossible. Today, we use about 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can no longer save the world by playing by the rules. Because the rules have to be changed. Everything needs to change. And it has to start today. So everyone out there, it is now time for civil disobedience. It is time to rebel.
7: This is David Rovix and you are tuned to 3CR, 855 AM, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively there just might be something we can do and everything can change.
0: Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR. We are joined by Adlan and Harley who are discussing animal rebellion in the UK and just generally some of the animal um, activism and environmental activism that's going on in the UK. So, yeah, um last few minutes of the show or last little section of the show we're going to hand over to Harley first to talk a bit about the what the future of animal rebellion.
2: Yeah, well, so Animal Rebellion is very decentralized and um, built on principles it's like self organizing and all that, so I won't definitely won't claim to know the future of Animal Rebellion, but I know so I'm going over there in January and I'll be joining the narrative team as my official role title is Storyteller, which not sure who came up with that one was a kind of um, generates ideas. Apparently, you came up with it, I've heard. That's what, da- that's what Dan has told not. me. So, <laughs> who knows? Um, I'll find someone, some- else is I'll me find someone to blame, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, I'll be doing work on building the narrative of Animal Rebellion. So, what messages we want to be sending out to the world. I'll be working closely with the actions team and the um, media and messaging team and kind of, yeah, deconstructing the narratives and myths that exist in society, figuring out how we can reframe them, figuring out how we can build a strong narrative framework for this movement and how we can include animals in that. I've also already started doing some work within the strategy team of Animal Rebellion, so examining what has been happening so far, um, what about it was effective, what we can keep doing, um, whether what that's going to look like. So at the moment, you know, the... The Animal Rebellion was part of um, the October Rebellion, which was the big thing that went down in October with Extinction Rebellion. And there's talks about, you know, whether there will be another big rebellion like that, like the two weeks, whether there'll be something else. Whether So I've been kind of a little bit part of that work as well, which is really exciting to be involved in, thinking about strategic objectives, strategic targets, and just grand strategy in general. So, yeah, I'm really excited to go over there and get started. Um And, yeah, be working full-time with Animal Rebellion from January.
1: Hmm. And you were keen to discuss Animal Think Tank a bit, Dylan? Yes, so Animal Think Tank is sort of uh, one of the organisations or the key organisation that kind of drove the creation of Animal Rebellion. Uh, And their their whole kind of uh, aim is to really foster the growth of the animal justice movement in the long term like really thinking in terms of like 20 30 40 years kind of time frame um so i'm going to be moving uh, over to lancaster up near sort of the border of i think it's near the border of wales scotland um to sort of to work with animal think tank and really we're going to be kind of really thinking in terms of you know what are the what are the building blocks that we need to work on to build kind of a a mass movement organisation that is focused on animal justice. Um, But then also, how can we also support the wider movement in terms of of training and upskilling people, in terms of, um, you know, creating the infrastructure, you know, literally things like housing, things like technology, um, and all those kinds of little things that help facilitate... You know, the sharing of knowledge between lots of different people, the building of strategy, experimentation with different tactics, creation of new campaigns. Um, So we're going to be figuring out how we can support that. Um, And then also really kind of figuring out how can we build a sustainable organization that is, you know, really creates a space where people can be their whole selves um, and really realize their true power Um, where people, where there's a culture where people, you know, feel safe while simultaneously, you know, being able to grow and be messy and be human. Um, And then also kind of really think critically about, you know, chipping away at all these different uh, little strategic milestones that we need to kind of take, that we need to tackle one by one to get to this broader goal of animal justice. So I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, doing that work and really kind of sitting back and doing it long term um and yeah so a lot of my work is going to focus on you know culture things like conflict resolution helping people understand power and privilege kind of figuring out how to foster that kind of environment where um you know fostering a good culture which is actually you know it sounds like kind of a soft thing but it's actually probably one of the hardest things to do in an organization so a bit daunting but also looking forward to the challenge on that Hmm. and we
0: um going to finish up with some uh, plugs for some things and I've put these if you listen to this live you can find them on the Freedom of Species Facebook and Twitter Uh, we're at FOS Radio on Twitter and you can search us on Facebook but so those links are there if you listen to this after the fact all the links will be at freedomofspecies.org as well as on iTunes but one thing we did a show last week um, with Harley um, was there talking about the Liberated Futures Conference and we ended up talking a lot about your talk it was a really great talk do you want to talk a bit about um, what that, yeah. What what that talk was about? Just give listeners a taste, and they can obviously check out that video if they'd like to um,
1: hear the talk. Yeah, so the talk's just a, basically a retelling of the the story, uh, a curated retelling of the story of the October Rebellion, and kind of some key learnings that uh, that are from that rebellion that I think uh, activists and organizers and basically anyone interested in social change could really get a lot out of. So yeah, definitely give it a listen if you've got some time. Hmm. Yeah, and I did want to say, like last week I did notice that video had 239 views, which
0: isn't huge, but I think it is great that we can get these ideas out to more people than just who can make it to that physical space. So I think that was uh, it, worked quite well doing those Facebook live videos. We'll also put up a link to an article Delan wrote on the October Animal Rebellion. I just found this online, plantbasednews.org. So you can, if you're for reading rather than listening, you can check that out. Um, Harley, you're going to be writing about some of this stuff on your blog as well.
2: Yeah, so it's not plant based news, but if you're. <laughs> Interested, um, yeah, it's just like I have a medium bl- uh, blog which is just my name, Holly McDonald Eckersoll, and I'm also on Facebook at, um, at Holly Eccles H O L L Y E C K E L L S. Um, and yeah, I'll definitely be writing about my time with Animal Rebellion and trying to get what I'm learning and pro- like understanding and developing out there as much as possible and sharing as much as I can. So, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. give me a read.
0: Yeah and also for more on Animal Rebellion the website is simply animalrebellion.org and that links to all their social media platforms if you want to yeah you know, um keep up with that organisation so yeah just in the last uh couple of minutes I wanted to turn it over to Delan and Harley or Adam anyone got any final thoughts or anything else you want to plug before we take off
3: Can I I just saw a um a news article from I think the New Zealand News just a, a, a general New Zealand news site um, pretty generic, would, you would think have standard news, all sorts of stuff, about a, a dairy farmer in New Zealand who um, stopped being a dairy farmer and went vegan because they um, they fo- felt so strongly about the, the mother... And and child mm. bond between dairy cows and the calves, and it's a really it's a really nice write up, and they've given a lot of space for this person to explain their emotions and how traumatic it was for them to um, perpetrate the sorts of things that they did to um, the dairy dairy mm. cows, and I thought it was just a, a sign of of where we're going, where mm. New Zealand's identity is so sort of aligned <laughs> with dairy cow um, exploitation. They they're considered the dairy. Um, sort of nation that they're able to that a that a general news organisation runs quite a long story on this sort of thing is fantastic. I think mm-hmm. I think we're really and I'm I'm so looking forward to what both of you do in this space. I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's going to be really important for the world and animals.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. I would really like to read that. Um, there's two things I would really like to add really quickly. Uh, the first one is that I think it's important to acknowledge that. As always, it's important to acknowledge that we are allies in this movement and that I always try and check myself and think about whether I am speaking about animals in the way I want to, which is that they are resistors, they are liberators, they are powerful and they are living this life. They're living their lives in resistance to these systems. So I think that's just something to acknowledge, not based on anything that anyone said, but I think it's just always something that I want to be aware of. The other thing I want to say is that there has been, you know, I want to call out the elephant in the room, that there has been quite a lot of anger, fury, distrust of animal rebellion within the animal movement the animal justice movement. And I really just want to encourage people to reach out and ask questions. It is not a closed movement. It is not a hierarchy. It is not a place which is resistant to change. It is built on the idea that it is learning and growing and that we are messy humans who make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So if you see something that you don't like, if you see something, you have questions out, reach out to me, reach out to Delan, email Animal Rebellion and someone will get back to you. We want to grow. We want to get better and we want to work as much as we can to break down systems of oppression in every way so if you do have criticisms if you have worries concerns talk about them to us talk about them to your friends get it out there and listen to the responses as well so i just really encourage that openness
0: We better uh, wrap things up, and I did want to like actually before the, the in terms of that example, I think that that sort of individual change of like doing it for ethical reasons is really important, and reaching out to those farmers, etc. But also, I think like changing those systems and those incentives as well, so there might be more yeah incentives and subsidies to plant-based agriculture and, and like yeah anaerobic culture. Those kind of things are important as well. Um, but I did want to mention we'll be taking a break from the show um, over summer. We're we'll back to normal programming on the nineteenth of January. So for the next four Sundays, one till two p.m., there'll be summer specials going on during this time slot rather than freedom of species so we're taking a break a good chance for activists i think to take a break and refresh over this time period and i think it's also a good time to catch up on any of our episodes if you miss any throughout the year uh, freedom of you can also search freedom of species on itunes one episode i particularly want to recommend is one on compassionate conservation who was our guest for that one Adam? arian Wallach. yep so check that out episode i think that really touched on some of the themes from this episode particularly um, so definitely check that out you can also email us info at freedom of with any feedback as well we also have a new instagram page thanks to madison the youngest member of freedom of species who's <laughs> actually on instagram um, so you can look us up at freedom of species and yeah follow us or like us or i don't know what you're doing there but we do something on there which is good <laughs> Um, we're going to finish up with a song Four Simple Words by Frank Turner three reasons I've chosen this Adam liked the Frank Turner song last week um, also um, he's an English musician which I thought was kind of relevant and third of all um, we touched on this a bit today um, particularly last week this idea of like yeah dancing and music and fun being a part of social movements and even I think Harley kind of touched on that creativity and storytelling so this song's all about like dancing and stuff like that so I thought it was kind of a good way to finish um, stay tuned for Um, hopefully all of our Listeners, have a, have a good break, and, yeah, we'll be back in a month's time. So thanks again for all three of you for coming in. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you, Nick. And we will see you next year.
7: Because we're all so very 21st century You're probably listening to me On some kind of portable stereo Maybe you're sitting on the back of the bus Or it's running up your sleeve and you're across from your boss Or you're sitting in your bedroom on your own With the lights down low I'd like to teach you four simple words So the next time you come to a show You could sing those words back at me Like they're the only words that you know I want to dance I want to dance I want lust and love and a smattering of romance But I'm no good at dancing And yet I have to do something I'm gonna play it straight I'm gonna take my chance I want to dance